This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What are the key IT priorities for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA? How is the agency ensuring its field staff has the best technology solutions and devices? And what are some of the key cyber challenges facing government agencies? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Bob Costello, Chief Information Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. My co-host today from IBM is Don Van Hagen. Bob, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Hey, great to be here today, Michael. Don, welcome as always. Thank you, Michael. So, you know, Bob, before we delve into specific initiatives, I was hoping you could provide us with an overview of the history and mission of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. How does it support the overall mission of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security? Uh, Absolutely. Happy to, Michael. So uh, CISA is four years old now, and we formed out of DHS headquarters the prior uh, NPPD organization, and we're comprised of uh, three uh, mission areas, the uh, Infrastructure Security Division, the Cybersecurity Division, and the Emergency Communications Division, along with our field uh, organization, the Integrated Operations Division, which also includes the uh, CISA Watch Floor, uh, the Stakeholder Engagement Division, and the National Risk Management Center. And then internally, we're comprised of all the offices that you would find at a normal agency, such as Human Resources, the CIO, and and others. So in that way, we're a pretty typical agency, but we have the cyber focus mission for, for DHS. So we are, you know, America's cyber defense agency. So we uh, provide a lot of the guidelines for the federal civilian executive branch. We have a lot of partnerships uh, as well, uh, you know, as you can imagine with uh, organizations like the FBI, the intelligence community and others. Uh, so we are not a law enforcement agency or a regulator unlike other parts of uh, DHS that may have those missions. We also have roles that are critically important, but, but maybe, you know, if you don't get past the first word cyber in our name, you, you wouldn't uh, necessarily associate with us. So the Infrastructure Security Division uh, is doing a lot of the physical security, chemical security, uh, but also has a large role in school safety and other, you know, really important things to the American public. Uh, in the Emergency Communications Division, uh, does exactly what it, its name says, uh, you know, emergency communications for the federal government, but as well as, you know, incredible partnerships with state, local, territorial, and tribal communities uh, that occur all across CISA. That's an excellent context for our audience who may not be familiar with the, the agency's critical mission. So what about your mission uh, of the office that you lead, uh, Bob? Uh, can you tell us how it's organized? Sure, absolutely. So so my office is part of our mission enabling offices. So my role is to provide IT services for CISA's uh, users. So I focus internally at CISA uh, on our IT mission uh, and our internal cyber mission, where the cybersecurity directorate is the outward facing. So I, I don't have a role in setting 
uh, you know, guidelines for the rest of the, the federal government. But I make sure that CISA is following uh, those guidelines itself. So I'm, I'm much like any other CIO in the federal government. My office is organized around kind of some traditional areas. I have an operations group that handles the day-to-day uh, user experience and, and user IT issues. I have an engineering group that, uh, you know, builds and designs new solutions and does uh, some application development. Uh, information security group, that uh, that's where the uh, CISO uh, sits here at, at CISO that, uh, you know, works with me to secure CISA systems, authorize CISA systems. Uh, and then I have a uh, kind of a, uh, uh, it's our investment group and compliance group that handles all those other functions within a CIO to make sure we're compliant with all the uh, regulations and reporting up to DHS headquarters that we're doing acquisition reviews of CISA acquisitions. Within the CIO here, we have records management and uh, functions of things like the Paperwork Reduction Act. Uh, as as well, all fall under our our office here. That's a nice segue into you know, kind of alluded to it a little bit. But what are your specific duties and responsibilities? Obviously, you, you lead these components, which which make up your your office. But maybe you could share with us the day in the life uh, of the CIO. It says, sure. Well, I I think like many uh, federal employees, like often uh, your day changes, other duties as assigned. Uh, so. You know, the big role is making sure that CISA employees and, and partners have the IT that they need to be effective in their mission. So that's, you know, rolling out new technologies, making sure that, you know, systems are up and operational, making sure that we're troubleshooting issues as they occur and providing great service. So, you know, all those help desk type functions are are running smoothly. I think sometimes our, you know, our days uh, are very challenging. Uh I'm still somewhat new to the role. I've been in it about 13 months now, so I'm still kind of, I'd say, still a new CIO. So I'm learning, uh, you know, what that means for myself as I grow through my career. Uh, so a lot of my day is spent less, obviously, technology hands-on and, and more on how are we implementing policies, how are we uh, engaging with our customers, uh, budgets, uh, budget formulation, and kind of running the office. Uh, and then, of course, like probably the biggest part of being an SES is, you know, leading people, mentoring people, uh, growing the team and, and making sure that, you know, the team has all the resources that they need to be successful. You know, given these duties, as you just outlined, and, and a lot of incredible stuff you're working on, uh, what are your top, say, three management challenges, Bob, that you've you've kind of had to deal with in your current position? And how have you sought to address those challenges? Sure. Uh, well, the office is growing, so I, I think we have uh, one of the the same challenges that that you see in in the private sector. You know, recruiting the best talent. Uh, so as we grow, we want to make sure that you know people are aware that CISA CIO is a great place to work. So uh, that has been a uh, a challenge and an opportunity to to recruit new talent. I, I would say like uh, anyone when you're modernizing an agency, and we are on a huge modernization path here across many facets of CISA, you know, culturally, operationally, IT, uh, you know, that that can present challenges like we're often finding that we're rewriting how we how we do business here at CISA. So that that's been a challenge. I, I think the other challenge, which is is in some ways, a really uh, good opportunity too. Uh, my organization uh, is pretty young in many ways, much like CISA. 
So we're, we're kind of laying the foundation for maybe uh, ensuring that the office of the CIO is continuing to run, run well 10 years from now. That's great. Don? Bob, you know, you've had such a, you know, well-rounded and diverse career, spending times, you know, in, in different parts of DHS, customs and ICE and others. And, uh, you know, also, you know, a great uh, career in the Air Force, as well as spending time in the private sector. You know, with that experience, what are some of the things that like have surprised you the most coming coming into CISA? Uh, great question. And and I did have a brief stint. Uh, you know, I left uh, CBP in uh, 2021 uh, for the private sector and then, you know, had an opportunity to come back here. I, I think what, I don't know if it's a surprise, uh, you know, just how, how much happier I am, you know, as a public servant vice in the private sector. It doesn't mean that maybe I won't go back someday, but I really love serving. Uh, I really love as well the focus that CISA uh, is bringing to itself as we grow the agency. You know, being only four years old as an agency, it's really fun being part of something so young. You know, often a lot of the other agencies have histories going back, you know, customs, hundreds of years. Uh, And that's wonderful to be part of something uh, that has such a long history. But what I think I really like here is uh, we're so involved in so many facets of operating the agency. It's a much smaller agency than I worked in before. So it's uh, an opportunity for me to work with, uh, you know, agencies, most senior leadership in a much different fashion than maybe I would have had as an opportunity elsewhere, as well as for my team. You know, it's, it's absolutely wonderful that, you know, my team often has interactions with the deputy director or director uh, that I think is helping them, you know, grow in their own careers that you maybe wouldn't get at another agency that, you know, has 60 or 100,000 employees. Well, that's great. And obviously, you're very focused on helping others, you know, grow their careers in your role. You know, would you step back and tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path? Uh, sure. Uh, well, obviously, you uh, my, my first government service was in the, the Air Force, although I did uh, have jobs before that. And kind of I, I, I wasn't happy with like the direction my life or career was going. So I joined the military specifically for that purpose. And I, I think like the Air Force, you know, really taught me a lot of different things. You, you know, the core values, you know, integrity first, uh, service before self and excellence in all we do are, are really something that I've taken with me from that first day in basic training. So I did serve for about four and a half years on active duty. I then went out to the reserves, uh, worked in the private sector for about four years. Being a, a technical network engineer was was what I was working on. So I was a networking uh, person in the, the mid-2000s. That's where my technical background comes from. And then I had the opportunity as I was uh, applying for government jobs to, to work at Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. So I, I, I joined ICE's uh, OCIO uh, many years ago in the year 2008, and I got to work on a lot of different projects. I started in security engineering, moved on to kind of spreading my wings a little bit, doing like, you know, Windows image engineering and, and then eventually big systems like migrating our entire email infrastructure and mobility solutions. And then. Uh, you know, when I left, I, I was running all of their uh, network engineering and, and building a lot of systems, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but I had an opportunity in 2012 uh, to work for, uh, she is now the deputy CIO 
of all of DHS, but I had an opportunity to go work for Beth Capello uh, in the field support directorate of CBP's uh, Office of Information and Technology as the uh, Northeast Regional Director. So I was then, I had to move, I had to go, uh, you know, be where the mission was. So I moved to New York City uh, and got a great experience. So I was doing something that I hadn't done before, uh, you know, hands-on, leading a, a, a group of, you know, hands-on engineers and technicians that, that were out there with CBP kind of solving those those day-to-day problems for the officers and agents. So everything from land mobile radio to traditional IT. Uh, and that was like super fun and terrific. And I loved it. And I kind of had different roles in field support, which I think is always important to people. Like our roles should change as we grow. So about every two years, I kind of moved on to a different position. Uh, when I, I left Finally, I was the, uh, I had been acting for about a year and then was uh, the permanent deputy of the group. Uh, I had a new opportunity to come back to the DC area and lead things for uh, CBP's networks and uh, a bunch of other uh, great solutions. Did that for a while, uh, then got to lead their software development and the border enforcement and management systems directorate for a year when uh, a good friend and, and great IT person, Rochelle Henderson, was promoted to the CIO of ICE. And, you know, that really helped me grow doing something. I've never really been a software developer uh, or led a team like that. So I had about, you know, 700 developers, you know, contractors working for me and a a large federal workforce. So that really grew me, really challenged me. uh, And it it was great. And then, you know, here I am at CISA. (laughs) You know, Bob, when you think of that, 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 that the, the crystallization of your of your career path, and as you noted, coming from the military into the private sector, then your your various uh, private uh, public sector journeys, what um, makes an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of your leadership principles that guide you. Sure, it's a, it's a great question, and I I think we've all taken courses or read books on on what make a, a great leader. Uh, and that those are great uh, guideposts. Uh, I don't know that we always, uh, in the moment, know that we're acting in the best way to be a great leader. So I, I think you know, admitting mistakes is super important. Uh, I think we we're all different leaders depending on where we are uh, in our own personal journey, career journeys, and where we uh, are working in, within an organization. So. I think for a long portion of my career, I was a great technical leader. I can't do that anymore. I can't be the technical expert on things. I need to have an understanding of things more as a generalist. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly had to accept that I would give that up to be a, a great leader or CIO, uh, you know, within the government. So I think being well-rounded, accepting challenges, supporting your people, giving them, you know, everything they need to be successful and having their backs, you know, is super important. That's, you know, you have to be there to support your team and, and make sure that they know that you're going to support them through any event. Uh, I think those are all really critical things. And I think always remembering too, like I had great mentors, remembering what they did for me so that I would have this opportunity. So I think being a, a good mentor is, is really vital. What are the key IT priorities for CISA? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Bob Costello, Chief Information Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. My co-host today from IBM is Don Van Hagen. Uh, in the previous segment, Bob, you kind of uh, told us what the mission was of, of CISA, and you kind of and you got into the organizational structure. I'd like to really delve deep into your IT strategic vision. Could you outline it for us? What are the key priorities for realizing your vision? Great question. So I I think some of them are, uh, you know, CISA is a highly technical agency across the board. So I have to ensure that my solutions that I deliver meet the expectations of my users. Uh, And that can be really challenging because when you're working at an agency that has a highly technical, in fact, a highly, uh, you know, cyber focus uh, workforce in in some of our uh, divisions, we have to provide the best. So I can't give people like underpowered workstations or uh, technology that doesn't work uh, or that's frustrating or, any of those other things, because that will drive rogue IT. They'll go do it themselves. So as I'm modernizing, so my first year kind of concentrated on forming my office structure, uh, recruiting um, some, you know, high powered engineering talent, but also, you know, mentoring the teams that, that have been here to be successful and, and work in a new uh, environment. Part of my tenants might be a little different. So first, it's like deploying great IT that that meets the need of citizens, mission operators at at their mission speed. Uh, I think elsewhere too, it, it's ensuring that we're deploying and engineering new solutions uh, all within you know CISA's guidelines and best practices. I think that that's really important. And I think elsewhere, it's important to like a big passion of mine that I learned at CBP is making sure that field organizations have the same level of IT support and capabilities as people at headquarters. So that's where I've also been growing my organization. We uh, had our first hire uh, that just started out in the field, uh, and we are really pivoting to ensure that no matter where you are for CISA, if you're a remote worker, in-office worker in the regions, you have the same capabilities as if you're sitting in an office. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. You know, mission support, mission critical is really is really the uh, 
it's an enabler. Technology has to enable the mission to happen. So yeah, with that in mind, Bob, and as a follow-up, are there any specific uh, internal drivers or more importantly in the federal context, external trends that are shaping and informing your strategy? Uh, I think there are. Uh, you know, as I, I sit here and ponder the question uh, that a little bit, I, I think things change at a much more rapid pace than when I started in IT in the 90s. Uh, and I think we need to be supportive of that. I think uh, Director Easterly, you know, she's spoken about how we're going to be a different type of agency. We're not going to be bureaucratic. We're not going to be slow to uh, change. And, you know, we're, we're really tackling, you know, culture change as a, as a big tenant here at CISO, which is vitally, vitally important. And I think that's important for my office, too. You know, we have to move at the speed of mission and we also have to you know, really take some lessons from, from industry. We need to be highly adaptable here in my office. We need to embrace new technology trends. We need to make sure that they meet federal, you know, guidelines when we implement them. But I think if you were to, to say like something that we're trying to do here that that's different, I want to move faster than any other CIO in government to deliver solutions for my customers. Bob, would you tell us more about the work being done on the new transport network for CISA? How will this effort take your agency to the next level and its ability to provide services to your users and connect various systems? Sure. Well, I, I, I think on, on portions of that, uh, so as CISA is, uh, you, you know, we're definitely all CISA, but there were, uh, say, systems operated by by different groups, which often happens, you know, CISA, I, I don't think there's been an agency in a long time that was not formed from a, you know, conglomeration of other agencies or other functions. So we we had some systems here uh, that, you know, have been around for a long time. The transport network was one of them. So what we're doing is, you know, in collaboration with many groups here at CISA, we're maturing that to provide, you know, network services to the entire agency. Uh, and I, I think that that's not different than what some other components of DHS have done. You know, we're starting with a great baseline, but we're, we're kind of taking it to the next level and implementing a really adaptable solution, you know, baking in some zero trust principles from the start. Uh, but really what we're trying to do is make sure that the CIO's office can deliver these solutions for the, the user community so they, they don't have to do it themselves. So that's going to incorporate things like we didn't have, uh, you know, reliable Wi-Fi in our buildings when, when I started. That's not going to be something that that people want to come back to in the office if you don't have reliable working Wi-Fi. So that's all part of the, the, the network. Obviously, we have to move a lot of data around it. So we, we want something that can really, you know, expand to handle those services. So those are some of the things we're doing uh, with the transport network. That's great. And as a, as a follow-up, how important is it for you to focus and promote a mission-first approach to IT solutions and delivery? Uh, well, I, I think, uh, you know, anyone that knows me, I, I, I'm all in on the mission of DHS as uh, all our components and, you know, for everything that the Department of Homeland Security stands for and, and what it means to serve as a public servant. So I, I think that, we're really trying to imbibe an operator-centric mindset in OCIO uh, to be there for our customers. You know, we'll be pivoting to, a, you know, in my office, a 24 by 7 uh, ops model, uh, which the office was not before as we take on uh, larger and larger roles. 
And that's really important. So I, I think, you know, whether you're, you're in uh, the private sector where you might have clients or, or customers, you have to know your customer. You have to know who you're serving. So it's vitally important to me that up and down my organization horizontally, my teams are embedded with the mission, that the mission sees us as uh, partners to them, uh, that they want to come to us with their problems, uh, and that they also include us. And that's happening a lot. It's as a, uh, we have phenomenal partnerships here internally. And yet, you know, all the, the leadership team here, we all work together. And I'm seeing that percolate across the organization. So I, I think that operator-centric mindset, that mission focus that, that I want to bring to the organization uh, is, is happening. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be prouder of my team for the passion that they're showing uh, to work with our customers to really enable this as a mission. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, you talked about, you know, moving, moving faster than any, any other CIO and mission first. You know, it jumps into the question around IT modernization. You know, what yeah. are you doing around IT modernization specifically? You know, some things that I know you, you know, work really closely with, cloud migrations, dealing with realities of legacy, legacy systems and, and current technical debt. Great questions. So I, I think um, we got a few projects on the books. So we are modernizing uh, a very big system for the cybersecurity directorate, their, their mission operations environment. So we're moving a lot to the cloud off of on-prem. Uh, some of the other things I'm, I'm doing in my office, like we're implementing Agile, and that was a big change. Uh, I, I think uh, tech debt is a great question. I was actually just talking to, to people about that today. It's it's really something that I think we're all challenged with. It's how do you tackle it? Uh, I think that one of the things that we're seeing uh, as CISA matures is, you know, we don't want two systems doing the same thing. Because uh, that can contribute to tech debt, uh, so we're we're working across the line to say, well, which systems should be doing this? Can we all use it? Can we make it an enterprise solution? And that's one of the approaches that we're taking. Uh, some of the other areas will be on like uh, you know ATO modernization uh, as well that I, I think are really going to drive the agency forward. You know, Bob, you you mentioned agile. Um, um, principles that you're kind of following. And, and I want to dig a little deeper into that because we're seeing a shift in the the way federal IT is delivered from, you know, a project management approach to a product management mindset. And I would like you to kind of elaborate on how has that transition and implementation of, of agile methods helped in the delivery of solutions and services across your agency? Sure. Yeah. And, and I think we know there's like as many flavors of uh, agile as there are ice cream. Um, and I think one of the things you kind of hit on kind of when you read like the original, like agile manifesto and some of these other things, what really drives me in this is like the high touch that you should be having with your customers. And that's what I really want to imbibe uh, in my organization. And I think you're absolutely right. Like a change to product delivery, uh, but you still want to deliver products that people want. Um, I think one of the other big changes is delivering incremental capabilities. I think that's so important because we got so used to, certainly in, in my early career, in fact, probably up to about 2013, 2014, my approach was still, well, we're going to do the project. We're going to deliver it all at once. Let's hope people are happy. Uh, we don't do that anymore. We deliver incremental uh, uh you know, solutions. 
Uh, and what we have to work with people on, um, because I, I think all of us, like as, as humans, we really kind of prefer that, that, that big bang. Like I can really see it. It's quantifiable. I can use it. Uh, it's getting people to see how those small incremental things produce changes over time, produce a solution over time, uh, and making sure we really celebrate those at, as they're going on. Uh, so part of like our agile journey here is, uh, you know, being able to showcase how we are delivering these solutions over time that will dramatically change the IT landscape here. That's really important, you know. And and Bob, I'm wondering. I know you're kind of a burgeoning group. You're you're kind of starting from scratch in a lot of ways and building as you're as you're doing your work. How are you using data and analytics, if at all, to kind of improve those services and, and the quality of those services you're providing to the agency? Sure. Well, my office is still nascent in that that area. Uh, there's a lot of great work going on in the cybersecurity uh, director directorate around that. I am. Uh, using some data that you would be, you know, very typical that, that a CIO, how quickly are we closing tickets? What type of tickets? What are the trends? Uh, you know, we did actually a great project for the agency. You know, we designed a uh, 360 uh, evaluation app for the agency that was used across the whole agency that great gave great data to agency leadership and supervisors on, you know, how they're, they're, they're performing and, and, and how people, you know, view their leadership style. I think that that's, you know, phenomenal. And we delivered that solution from this office uh, and it was really wonderful. So that was a great example of using, you know, IT to deliver actionable data. How is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, ensuring its field staff have the best technology solutions and devices? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is the Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness, brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Leadership Fellow at the Center and host of its weekly interview program, the Business of Government Hour. The Center This Week is our opportunity to inform and most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the Center as a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal levels. My guest today is Jeremy Gucci, author of Create the Future, Tactics for Disruptive Thinking. So Jeremy, what is an innovation accelerator? And more interestingly, how can one find an overlooked opportunity? Well, there, uh, there's so many great ideas all around you. And the issue would be that it's easy to dismiss the ideas that are awkward or different. In fact, you know, even something like Apple came out with their iPod and I, I collected all the quotes that came from like Steve Ballmer, the billionaire from Microsoft, and uh, the billionaire founder of Palm, billionaire founders of BlackBerry, the CTO of Motorola, the CTO of Nokia. And it's just remarkable to see that even though that device looked interesting to us at the time, to see the market leaders and the way they dismiss a new idea is very fascinating to me. And so I've done the same analysis, even interviewing the people who you know, invented the digital camera from Kodak, all this stuff. And what you'll find is if you actually start interviewing and diving really deep in all these case studies, is that for the market leader, new ideas seem awkward. And it's mm -hmm. not that the people at Nokia or 
BlackBerry or Palm. It's not like the, the, you know, they were aloof and that they didn't understand the market. It's that they'd already tried similar things. They knew the constraints. When they saw the iPhone, they thought, oh, we at Palm, we already have a way for you to map all of your, you know, calendar. Oh, this doesn't have that. And in the BlackBerry, they thought, oh, they don't have a contract that would let people transmit so much data. And there's just an easy way to dismiss new ideas. They look awkward. We tried something like it, so we dismiss it. Meanwhile, when you're not the market leader and you look at a market from the outside, wow, look how cool the iPhone works. This is going to change the world. So part of accelerating innovation within your own world is to assume potential of these awkward little ideas, to recognize the blinding power of your own expertise and how in your industry, you will underestimate new technologies and kind of overestimate your own ability to to react. Jeremy, how can we recognize our blind spots and, and what is expansive thinking? Well, yeah, I think that what's interesting is to know that all of those traps we talk about force you, especially within your own career, to funnel and narrow your thinking to what you've done before. So the art of uh, the science of getting outside of the the linear traps and, and, and where you're at really require you to look at your problem from different perspectives. And there doesn't have to be a a correct or incorrect answer to that. Um, In the book, I go through six different patterns of opportunity, which can be useful, but you can also use the example we talked about, about thinking about how different companies approach your problem, how it you know, how would uh, Facebook approach your market? How would Patagonia? How would Google? And uh, ultimately, what you're trying to do is run through more and more routines, more and more examples or case studies of how other people might look at the same problem. And if you want, bring those other people in and try and broaden your scope of who's trying to solve the problem. Because fundamentally, what you're trying to do is uh, get out of the blind spots you have that are caused by your own success. So Jeremy, in your book, you mentioned the super future. And this super future is created by you know, standout megatrends. And there are certain factors that will have the greatest impact in shaping the world. Perhaps you can identify those and explain those factors for us. Well, one of the factors would be uh, you know, artificial intelligence. And people see the word AI and often they almost gloss past it because it sounds too techy. But AI has already been the thing that's been customizing your Google search results, simplifying your Tinder swipes and, and sort of integrated in, in much of your, you know, your, your life. We only call things AI when they're new like the increases of technology and how much that's accelerating. That's one factor. The next factor would be hybridization and the simple reality that the lines that separate industries are blurring. You know, Amazon was a bookstore, but then they started to become a web host. And then they decided to buy Whole Foods and become a grocery store. What? Nobody expected that but it's because they can become a grocery store. And in all sorts of industries, people are entering new markets uh, in ways that just wasn't possible before. And hungry competitors are looking at your market, even though you never thought that that company would enter your market. Similarly, though, you can enter different markets in a way you just couldn't 20 years ago. And uh, so that's that's AI, hybridization. And then the third mega trend, uh, uh, we track dozens of megatrends of trend under. But the third megatrend that would be my favorite for the super future is one that I call instant entrepreneurship. And instant entrepreneurship is the idea that today, more than ever before, if you wanted to, you could kind of instantly become an entrepreneur. 
if my little niece who's nine decided that she wanted to make a company selling little plastic dinosaur figurines, that's impossible 20 years ago. But today, yeah, she could do it. She could go online to Thingsverse and get a 3D printed model from her imagination by someone out there that would create the model of her dinosaur. She could go to uh, 99designs and get designers around the world competing on her logo. She could go to Wix and for free make a beautiful website, much more easily than when I coded up Trend Hunter long ago. She could then go to Kickstarter and sell her little dinosaurs before she has a business. Now, that's a 10-year-old kid. And that's one, you know, she lives here. Uh, but she could be in South America or South Korea and have the same opportunity and be competing against you. So that's the little scale. But as you dial that up with companies, it's, it's similar as well. So you could more easily than before instantly become an entrepreneur or, or an intrapreneur, meaning an entrepreneur within a large organization. And I think those three factors combine instant entrepreneurship, hybridization, and AI to make a world that will continue to accelerate faster and faster than the pace we're used to today. We're the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Bob Costella, Chief Information Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. My co-host today from IBM is Don Van Hagen. Hey, Bob, you know, you, you, you've mentioned in, in, in some of your other interviews, you've pointed out the reality of hybrid work environments and that they're, they're kind of here to stay. So, you know, to that end, I was wondering, what are you doing to support that kind of hybrid environment and ensure, this is most important, that the field staff across the agency has the best technology solutions and devices available? Yeah, so big challenge. Uh, and my office itself too is very hybrid. So I have uh, an extensive team that actually works in Arizona uh, as well as Florida uh, and they're remote. So they, you know, they, their primary duty station is their home. Uh, and then we have a big contingent of, of, you know, people here in the DC area. So I think one of the first things is, you know, make it work for your office. So we're making sure that CISA remote workers have, you know, home kits, they get dual monitors, they get cameras, they get, get you know, all that kind of, tech that that makes working at home just a little bit easier uh, or working remote uh, a little bit easier. You really uh, hit a good point there. We have a large field um, 
operation here at CISA under the Integrated Operations Division. Uh, and our regions mirror the, the FEMA region. So region one is, you know, New England, Boston area. Region two is, you know, New York and Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Uh, so if you want to know the CISA regions, the FEMA regions map uh, right up. We need to ensure that the field organizations have what they need as well. That means that our applications uh, go through a, a maturity process to work great on mobility. That, that you have laptop batteries that last the whole day. You know, those are kind of the, the simple things to make hybrid work. I also think for my own organization, you actually like hit us on the week when we are, uh, we have a large contingent in person this week. So people sometimes for the first time are meeting each other face to face. They're going to meals afterward. You know, they're, they're hanging out. They're walking around the office, that, that old type of, uh, you, you know, just getting things done by walking up to someone's office or queue. So we're going to continue to do that within my group because I still think it's hard to beat in person for certain things. And it's also much harder to be rude to someone or dismissive of someone if you've met them in person. And, and I think that that's really important that we continue to form these great bonds, even in the remote, excuse me, hybrid work environment. That's an important point. You know, Bob, you mentioned earlier around your priorities, the authority to operate ATOs. And I'm I'm wondering if you can delve a little deeper for the audience into how you're trying to modernize them for your agency and how in modernizing them will this better position the agency in its field operations? Absolutely. So, well, I think the first thing you need to take a look at is how much manual processes you have. And, and our office had a lot of manual processes. So people were getting really frustrated with it. I think the other thing you, you want to pivot towards is, you, you know, what is our risk-based approach to it? What is our, you know, how much risk are we willing to accept on certain systems? How much work has already been done for us through programs like FedRAMP and, and elsewhere? Uh, so a lot of the work that we were doing is pivoting more to, you know, constant testing of our systems, having good standards for what is the baseline uh, of a system. Uh, I think this year we'll be working, you know, really hard. How far can we push the envelope to emulate some of the things that have been done, say, in the Air Force or other parts of DOD? Uh, you, you know, we got to stay compliant with the Department of Homeland Security's um, directives and initiatives for ATOs, but we are you know, trying to get there a little bit faster uh, without any decrease in insecurity. And that's great, Bob. Could you tell us a little bit more about your cybersecurity strategy? What are some of the key threats that you're dealing with now? How are you building in resiliency and redundancy into your systems and infrastructure? Sure. Yeah. I And, and I want to just make sure that everyone understands the cybersecurity directorate is the outward facing on that. So, so my role is very uh, inward facing. So it's making sure that uh, you know, everything that CISA publishes and, and the other partners across uh, government publish that, that we're compliant with. I think the other things that we're doing, uh, you know, we have a strong partnership with DHS headquarters and, and their network operations and security center uh, that provides, uh, you know, services to us to monitor our systems. I think that it's ensuring that we are implementing all of the guidelines of the cybersecurity executive order. Uh, you know, vitally important that, that we're doing all of that. Uh, a lot of my focus is ensuring that, you know, my teams are continuing to mature as we build out these new systems that we are, you, you know, deploying, um, you know, effective uh, endpoint detection uh, and remediation tools that we're, we're pen testing quite often, uh, that we're logging, 
uh, everything that we should be and that we're reviewing logs, you, you know, that's a very important thing uh, that we're turn, tuning our cybersecurity uh, tools to provide, you know, the best value, uh, you know, across the board. So those are things that I'm concentrating internally here at CISA. Fantastic. And, you know, you talked earlier about Agile and lots of flavors of Agile and, you know, that was that was new many years ago. The, the new thing we're hearing a lot about is zero trust, right? And, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your your zero trust journey and how this, you know, this big shift in thinking is going to impact your organizational culture, you know, obstacles and barriers you see to, to implementing zero trust uh, in your, you know, in your current environment? Sure. Uh, well, CISA, uh, you know, we have published our, our pillars of zero trust, and I think that's a great guideline. Uh, for a lot of agencies. I think here, you know, we are standing up, um, you know, a new identity stack, which I think is really important because that's, you really can't do zero trust if you can't, you know, do identity really well. I think that we have, um, you know, across the government or in the private sector, you know, you're sometimes dealing with very legacy systems and how you implement them into a zero trust model. I think like anything, it's a journey it won't, uh, you know, it, it's a journey that doesn't end. You're like, you get better and better. Uh, I think it's really important, uh, as uh, Director Easterly has spoken about, as we're rolling out new systems or designing new software, it should be, you know, secure by design. So I think it's really important that you have really integrated teams. So my security teams are, are really integrated with our product teams or, you know, engineering teams. Uh, and we also have an ex- enormously strong partnership uh, with CISA. Uh, You you know, we work hand in hand with the cybersecurity director and then consume those services that that can help us, uh, you know, get better. That's great. In the beginning of this, you really talked a lot about your your passion for developing other people. And, you know, I think that feeds into, you know, the, the challenge in workforce development, recruiting and retention. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing specifically around, you know, workforce development, recruiting and retention, and, you know, maybe hit on, you know, some of the CTMS, cyber talent management system work that's going on now within CISA? Sure, absolutely. Well, you you brought up uh, one of the newest uh, initiatives, about a year old now, um, you, you know, many years in, in development, the accepted service system, you know, the, the cyber talent management system or the DHS cybersecurity service. So we are absolutely working very closely with DHS headquarters and CISA uh, office of the chief human capital officer on, on utilizing that program. And we actually have some of the first CTMS hires here at CISA within my office uh, in the developmental track. So we've brought in some really bright minds through that program. You know, it is different than the the, the GS scale. So the the pay is a little different. The, the compensation can be a little bit different. And we're really excited for it. I think it's been really uh, a game changer for us here at DHS. And, and folks can absolutely learn a lot about it on the CTMS website, the DHS Cybersecurity Service. I think if you Google that, it'll uh, come up with uh, a lot of information on it. Internally, it's, you know, it's very important that, that you reward people, that you give people good, actionable goals, that you do good performance management throughout the year so that people know what they should be working towards, what they need to improve on, and that you're getting feedback on your own uh, it, you know, management style or what could you do better as a supervisor or a leader to, to support your teams. 
we have individual development plans for our team so that people, you know, write down what training they want or where they want to be throughout their career. I think CISA is very fortunate to have a very uh, robust training program so that we're able to send our people to technical training, leadership training, uh, and, and send them to, you know, great events where they can, you know, learn in a, in a, in a conference uh, type format as well. I think that that's very important. So we're, you know, it's important for me that my teams continue to get exposed to new, to new ideas. And I think CISA is a great place to do that. That's a great transition, uh, Bob, into my next question around, you know, capturing great ideas and, and implementing them. And I understand that your agency participated in the Hack DHS event. And I, I was hoping you could tell us more about this effort. But, but actually, more importantly, what have you learned from it? And are you planning to leverage this concept for your agency? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the uh, the, the Hack uh, DHS event run by DHS headquarters uh, in partnership with CISA was enormously beneficial to us. I think one of the first things that people learn about it, particularly the programs that participate in it, uh, you know, it's not designed to be pejorative, like, oh, hey, we found this, you're in trouble. Uh, it, you know, it's a very positive uh, way that it was run. So uh, as things you know, are potentially identified, the teams are alerted and, and they can work through them to, to, to solve them. So we will absolutely uh, be doing more of that here internally on our systems. I think it's a great way to go into a continuous ATO or however you ongoing authorization, however you want to describe that. Yeah, you know, pen testing is vitally important on production as well as test systems. So we, yeah, we will absolutely be taking that concept uh, and advancing it here internally. Mm-hmm. It's become clear during our conversation, Bob, that you really do focus your mission of the office on ensuring that the field operations have the right tools and technology to deliver on the, the critical mission of your agency. And to that end, I was hoping you could delve deeper a little bit into how do you anticipate these technology needs of those internal customers and how do you work with them to identify the better ways to use technology that helps them achieve their mission more effectively? Sure. Uh, well, I think the first way is you have to be there with them. You can't anticipate someone's needs or a customer's needs if you never talk to them, if you're never out there on their missions, uh, if you don't work with them. So, uh, you know, I often um, I still travel back and forth to New York City. Uh, my, my partner happens to uh, live and work there for many years. I've been doing that that long distance back and forth. And so, you know, I meet with the regional director there. I work in the, the regional office there. My teams have now visited all 10 regional offices at, at least twice uh, you know, they're forming relationships with those teams uh, so that we're hearing their needs directly from them. I think that that's super important. I, d- I don't think that you can uh, know the field unless you're out there living it with the field. So that's why we're hiring uh, people from OCIO to work in the field as, as, as well. I think it's also really important too, as you're doing system design or developing applications you know, a lot of field organizations, they're, they're working mobily. They're on an iPad, they're on an iPhone, they're on some sort of mobile device. You know, make sure those applications work well on mobile. There's nothing more aggravating than designing a great app application that the field is then, you know, taking paper notes because they can't use it or doing assessments on paper because they, they can't use the system in real time. So I think that those are all things that you should keep in mind as you're supporting a field organization and being good partners. Like I have a phenomenal 
uh, relationship with uh, Bridget Bean, the uh, assistant director over the integrated uh, operations division uh, and the deputy uh, Boyd and Rohner, uh, you know, we talk all the time. We, we have those, those great uh, leadership relationships that help us deliver solutions faster for the agency. That's terrific. Yeah, I think I think you know you made it really clear, Bob, like how important relationships and and collaboration are for you. And you know, CISA definitely seems to be one of the leaders, and not only like internal collaboration, but external with things like the JCDC and others. You know, can you give some examples of how all these like broad relationships among CISA and among other DHS components have you know helped you? in your journey? And then, you know, also how can some of these partnerships externally to CISA, you know, with the private sector, how can the private sector help you? Sure. Well, uh, you know, you hit on the JCDC led by uh, Clayton Romans. Um, it's the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. And I think that it's been, uh, yeah, you know, a really amazing organized organization to support. And they're really looking to my office for their IT needs, which is wonderful. So we've rolled out collaboration tools for them and, we really want to ensure that they can collaborate effectively uh, with their partners. Uh, so that's really my role to, to enable their mission to be effective. So if their mission is collaboration and sharing information, I need to make sure that they can do that, uh, you know, as seamlessly as possible and that they have the tools uh, required to do that. So that's really how I, I view my office is we need to make sure that their mission is successful uh, so that their teams aren't having to do what would traditionally be or would be, you know, the CIO's job. We really want to enable people here at CISA to be effective at their jobs across the line. And that means having, you know, great IT solutions. You know, Bob, you mentioned clearly that when we talk about cyber um, and the questions we ask, it's about you supporting the agency, not necessarily dealing with the mission aspects of that part of the agency. But I would like you, if you could, to maybe put your your hat on there and look forward. What keeps you up at night? Um, what are the trends? What is the future in cybersecurity? What are some of the things that are most concerning? And, and what should we really focus on as, as the federal government as a whole? Sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that keeps us all up at night is you just never know what the next vector is going to be. Uh, I think solar winds and log four, uh, you know, kind of taught us that. So, so my my role is really making sure that we have resilient systems that you know you have the right segmentation so that if something happens, the blast radius is is limited. Uh, I think the other thing that we all worry about at, as leaders across the line, whether it's a cyber incident or other, you know, do I have enough people uh, that they don't get burnt out? Because there's nothing worse than when you're working in an incident and people make mistakes because they're tired. And that, that, that's a real thing. So I, I think that, you know, what keeps me up at night is being as adaptable as the enemy, making sure that I'm listening, that we don't know it all, that we're taking the, the great advice from the cybersecurity division and others to make sure that we're doing everything possible uh, that, that, that we should be. That, you know, that's the the most important thing. And I, I think that that's been a pivot across the government, you know, for many years and it, it's changed a lot, you know, in the last decade, but, you know, I think we all remember when ATOs were kind of thought of as the Holy grail and, and they're, they're, they simply weren't as designed because there was very much a point in time, very compliance focused, very paperwork focused, 
we have to move much faster than those legacy processes allow. That's a great point. So, Bob, what are some of the um, what are the three or so key takeaways you'd want our listeners to know about or think about um, your your agency, its mission, the work that you do to support the agency? What are some of the things you want us to take away from this conversation? Sure. Uh, well, I would like everyone to take away that that CISA is a phenomenal resource. Uh, whether you're in the federal government, the, the public sector, uh, critical infrastructure, or even just uh, you, you know, one of the, the many uh, citi- you know, millions of citizens of this country. You, you know, our website really posts actionable things that can be taken by technical and non-technical people as well. And I think that that's really important. I would love some people to, to view CISA as a wonderful place to work. So I encourage people to, to check out those opportunities. For our partner community and in industry, uh, I would really ask uh, that, you know, we are doing uh, pretty much monthly uh, industry days. In fact, we just finished a two-day industry day for the cybersecurity directorate. Those are great events that people can come to if you want to do business with CISA and learn about CISA. I think that those are really designed to increase our collaboration with industry, and it's been really effective. As we close, uh, Bob, I just want to ask you, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? I think that uh, you would never make a mistake by being a public servant. I think the other thing, too, is if there is a job that you're interested in or, or something that you're passionate about, I guarantee you there is a position in public service that does that. That's what I would tell people. I, I think that it will change you forever, whether it's in uniform in one of the armed services or one of the, uh, the, the other services or a, as a civilian. Like, even if you only do it for a few years, it will change your view for the rest of your life. Well, well, Bob, I want to thank you for joining us today. But more importantly, I think Don and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Absolutely. It was wonderful to be here uh, with both yourself and and Don today, Michael. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Bob Costello, Chief Information Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. My co-host from IBM has been Don Fenhagen. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government technology and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.